With the coronavirus pandemic forcing school closures across the nation, district leaders are scrambling to keep students nourished, attend to their emotional well-being, and keep them learning. That's a tall order on its own, but my guest today argues that they also need to be preparing for the pandemic's fiscal impact. Broad swaths of the American economy are at a standstill, and the consequences for state revenues and district budgets will be severe. Where will the impact be greatest, and what can districts be doing now to flatten their financial curves over the months and years ahead? I'm Marty West, editor of Education Next, and I'm joined today by Marguerite Rosa, director of the Edunomics Lab at Georgetown University. Marguerite is a frequent contributor to the Journal on Matters of School Finance, and she recently hosted a webinar on how school systems will be affected by our current economic turmoil that will be the focus of our conversation today. Marguerite, welcome back to the Ednex podcast. Thank you, happy to be here. So the last time we had you on the podcast, it was to discuss an article urging districts to prepare themselves for the next financial downturn. I believe the headline read, Dear Districts, These Are the Glory Days. It's unfortunate now to be talking in the midst of that downturn, but I'm glad to have the chance to help share your expertise. Let's start by trying to characterize the immediate impact of the crisis on district budgets right now in the 2019-20 school year. Are some school districts maybe spending a bit less than they otherwise would be as a result of the closures? Yes, we, we did a, a little bit of an informal call around to a bunch of the districts that we know, or the financial leaders in districts, and they said um, that it, they're, for the most part, kind of finishing the year flush with cash. And that was because um, they hadn't spent money on substitutes or banquets or other kinds of like smaller items that are, um, are in the savings column because schools are closed. And some of that was transportation savings and other things. And of course there have been some additional costs, but generally speaking, they, they weren't spending money. That could change. And there are a few districts, notoriously LAUSD, that put a lot of money down to buy digital devices. Um, so as if, if districts do put more money behind um, getting devices to students, that could change. But so far, they were seeing, um, you know, more more savings than expenditures. And so the immediate impact hasn't been great, and maybe that's why district leaders aren't really focusing on the financial side of this crisis uh, as much as the more immediate needs in serving students. But that picture seems likely to change pretty dramatically as we head into the 2020-2021 fiscal and academic year. You argue that revenues are going to go down, and perhaps more surprisingly, that expenses are likely to increase, creating a bit of a double whammy. Let's start with the revenue picture. What are the major drivers of the coming decline in, in state revenues, I guess? Yeah, most certainly uh, the financial picture will be taking a U-turn for districts. And so we're, we're telling districts to um, draft some budgets that um, would allow for um, 5% cuts, you know, 8% cuts, things like that. And, um, and that's because we don't yet know how much um, revenue loss they'll get from states. But states, state budgets right now are in, you know, are actually bleeding cash. And that's because um, when you shut down restaurants and bars and shut down your economies and cancel all travel and tourism and things like that, those things feed the state 
revenues. They do that through hotel taxes and through alcohol taxes and all those kinds of things, even tolls that are on um, transportation systems. And those revenue sources um, have never seen such a sudden drop in them. And because of that, states um, will have to dramatically change their spending patterns for next year. And that will affect next um, school year for many districts across the country. I'd imagine there will also be growing competition for the limited amount of funds that states are bringing in, most obviously from emergency spending on public health. Is that right? Yes, that's right. I mean, it, it just, you can imagine the, the big hospitals that are going up in fields and stuff in some states, but um, even more than that, Medicaid is another public health sort of expenditure. And with um, the numbers in the millions of people who have lost their job even so far, and I'm sure that number will go up this week, um, many people will turn to Medicaid to get their own health care spending. And um, I mean, we don't really know how that shakes out with so many elective procedures canceled. There may be a moment of a cushion on that, but with so many more people coming to Medicaid to get services for health that may you know go up so we're we just don't know how that will play out the number of unknowns um is staggering um but for state budgets there's certainly a sense that this is going to be a horrific year now there's a lot of variation from state to state in the extent to which districts rely on state funds as opposed to their own local taxes for education spending how is that going to uh impacts the extent to which districts experience this crisis? Well, 20 years ago or so, um, you know, you could have a recession and education would do a shoulder shrug, shrug because it didn't really matter to them. But the more we've, and part of this has been an equity push, right? We, we said the best way to level out resources across districts was to make the state play a larger role. If we left it all the local property taxes, obviously we're gonna get these inequities. So states have, I mean, most states, I think it's over 80% of them have increased the role that the state has played since about, you know, maybe in the last 15 years. And the more reliance on state means the, that state budgets, of course, are more volatile in a uh, economic downturn or more um, dependent on the economy than local property taxes. And that means that that um, districts are more dependent now on something that is more volatile. So um, some states uh, are especially dependent. I mean, we think of Hawaii for sure, but other states, you can look that up on our slideshow that we did as part of our webinar, um, do have a higher percentage of the revenues come from the state. And even some districts within those states receive more of their revenues from the state. And that will be where the problem is greatest. So there's some variation, but the big picture, especially relative to just a couple of decades ago, is that there's just much more dependence on state finance nationally. Right. And that showed up in the last recession when there was a stimulus plan to keep teachers working or to save teacher jobs. And um, we saw some stimulus money already, although most of that was not for K-12. Um, some of that will cushion some of it, but for the most part, we're anticipating maybe there'll be another stimulus, but we'll, you know, that's really part of the unknowns. So let's turn to the second part of the double whammy, the rising costs that districts will be facing. Why do district obligations tend to climb faster in an economic downturn than when the economy is hot? 
Well, it's sort of a, a catch-22, but you know, you could blink and a month ago we were talking about teacher shortages. Those days are gone. Teacher shortages are over. And um, for most of the part, what we're going to find is that teachers are going to stay in the job that they have. Um, and that's one of the you know, upsides of teaching is that you, you typically can stay if you want. Um, when more teachers stay, the public education system has built in um, raises for them that uh, seem automatic unless uh, leaders go in and sort of really upset the apple cart. So you get step and column raises. Um, more teachers stick around and keep those and climb the salary ladder. Sometimes there are labor contracts that have promised COLA raises for the years ahead. Um, more teachers stick around for those, and that means we're not replacing those teachers with brand new junior teachers that earn quite a bit less. And um, and that means that costs rise. So at the very moment that um, uh, the, the rest of the, um, the country is sort of not giving out raises, people stay in education and get raises. That's the and problem. And what about benefit obligations? I imagine that state pension funds are gonna be looking a lot less well adequately funded than was the case prior to the market downturn. And does that, translate into an increased burden on districts to be contributing to those funds to shore up their status? Well, um, technically, you know, obviously the money isn't, won't be there for the retirement systems because all that money is invested in the stock market and, you know, that took a huge hit. Will states turn around and make up for those losses by putting more money into their pension fund this year? I doubt it. <laughs> uh, so we'll see. But what will likely happen is more that in the next year or two, there will be pressures for districts to contribute a larger share to these pension funds, which have deeper and deeper holes in them, and for employees to contribute more. But for the districts, that will be really painful. And, um, and so that will be another cost for sure of the recession, that more money will need to be put there. You know, in, in other um, industries, um, when the stock market takes a hit and people's retirement goes down, the individuals absorb that. But because the pension system has promised a fixed dollar amount, a certain dollar amount to its retirees, the employer has to absorb that in public education. And that ends up being the state and the district. So how is all this going to impact the operation of school districts that over the past decade have grown accustomed to annual budget increases on the order of three to 4% a year, this is gonna be a, a big change in their financial outlook. How, how is that gonna play out? Well, I think they've actually been grown accustomed to six to seven to now even 8% increases. So I think it's been higher than that. Um, well, I think there's gonna be a lot of pressure to, to go back and look back at the raises that were just promised. Um, many of them will be kicking in for the 2021 school year. So that's gonna you know, cause some, some stress, I think, on systems and some tensions among stakeholders. But any new program that's been offered by states or districts in the last year or so is really going to be fragile. I mean, it's going to be on the edge. They're ready to be cut. We lived it without it for so long. So just as we're, we you know, are putting in new pre-K programs or um, social emotional learning programs or you know, other kinds of services, those are the first to go, whether they're even digital learning and technology might be ones that we added them for the second half of this year, and then we immediately cut them starting next fall. Um, so I would say, you know, those, that's where we're going to see, we saw 
governor after governor after governor announce plans for making investments in K-12 education, I think those things will be off the table. Um, and we'll see a lot of um, quick uh, cuts where it took years to sort of add those programs. So what can districts be doing now to prepare themselves for this new reality? What advice do you have for superintendents and school boards? Well, in our, in our webinar, um, we made some suggestions. And for those who are interested, keep, stay tuned because we'll do some more updated webinars as we go and get better numbers going forward. But um, we said, first of all, first and foremost, stop hiring, um, stop spending money, stop giving raises, um, stop promoting people. And you know, that might seem like, how do you stop doing that in education? These are all fixed things. And it's, it's not necessarily the case. Districts have a lot of open positions and, and I would suggest they stop hiring for those right now. Um, maybe not make so many promotions to vice principals or to lead teachers or you know, other kinds of things like that. Um, and those are the things I would do. Um, protect your reserves. Those reserves will be the things that you can dig into to help when there are cuts that get passed down from the state. And there are opportunities now to maybe get some things done that you didn't have the political will to do before. If that's cut antiquated programs or close under-enrolled schools or things like that, this may be the moment to, to potentially do those. So try to resist that urge to cut the new program, which presumably was something you wanted to adopt and instead look at what's been around for a long time, maybe not be addressing a, a current need. That's right. And I think that's, um, you know, takes a little bit more um, intentional thinking, uh, really looking through the budget. Sometimes there are um, central office departments that have become antiquated um, or that could be downsized just to, if you're a district that's had declining enrollment, this is the time to sort of restructure everything that you've had. And what about the state level? Are there things that state policymakers can do to cushion the impact on their districts? Well, the first thing I would do is be really honest and open about the forecasts. Um, with, there was one state yesterday that said, well, you know, we're hoping it won't impact our revenues. I was thinking the, the hoping statement um, you know, that's not helpful. I think really a lot of people don't understand where the money comes from for schools. They, they just don't really understand that. And they think that the district can generate it if it wants to. And, um, and that's inaccurate. So a lot of times principals will go to their district and say, please, 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 can I have this money? Or, you know, community groups will go. And, you know, if the district sort of says yes sometimes, then they think there's a secret ATM back around the corner. And if they just ask enough, they'll go punch in the code and get the money. And it, so I think if the districts say we're beholden to the state and state revenues are down and states can't, can't you know, run deficits like the federal government comes. So we have to, you know, if we don't have enough money and I choose to give your school money, I have to take it away from another school. That whole explanation People don't really understand it. And this is a great time to help explain how that works. And explaining the, the, the limits on money goes a long way to help people process the kinds of trade-offs that they might have to make going forward. Um, I think that's important for states to do as well. And for states, I think, you know, you can create, create the cover for districts to make some of those cuts. You can um, invite districts or require districts to reopen their labor contracts, something they might not be able to do politically um, in, in, in other kinds of ways. And I would be encouraging the districts to do carryover, as much carryover as they can, and 
you know, really pad their rainy day funds right now. So um, those are some options. I've put a bold proposal on the table, which is that any raises that do go out during the recession, you know, the coming economic downturn, let's make those non-pensionable raises. You know, that would be a way that you still get your pension, you, um, but let's any raises you do get, let's call them bonuses or something so they don't affect your final average salary. That's another way to um, make sure that we're not obligating to years and years of new costs going forward um, during a, a time when we don't have the money. Now, one of the themes that runs through your advice at both the district and the state level is the importance of communication. But communicating about these budget matters is, I think, as you just acknowledged, highly complex, very challenging. What are the effective ways that you've seen district leaders really work to communicate with key stakeholders, with the broader public, uh, about the reality of their financial situation? Well, we, we, we suggest um, that you talk about money and talk about it a lot. And people think the money in schools is in the paper and the books, not in the people. Um, we also actually recommend, I have a forthcoming chapter on this, and um, we're going to sprinkle these throughout Twitter in the couple in the coming months, using would you rathers, like would you rather have this much money spent on X or this much money spent on Y? Would you rather keep our lower class sizes um, or, um, uh, you know, cut the planned pay raises that we've done? Um, would you rather, you know, the, these kinds of statements that, especially if you could put two cost equivalent dollars on the table, we talk a lot about one in a damn Goldhaber study, which would, you know, teachers, would you rather have two fewer kids or a $5,000 pay raise? And as much as people can start understanding the dollars, then they can start weighing in in ways that, um, that help articulate what they value. So there's a great time to do that. And we've been, and we'll continue to offer more of those would you rathers as a way to talk about um, cash. But generally, you know, being honest, inviting people to weigh in. People, look, you know, a lot of times districts don't want people to weigh in. So, but if you, if you don't invite people to weigh in, you'll probably hear more. Um, but a system looks trustworthy if you can talk about money honestly and openly and in a way that invites um, uh, people to understand and make trade-offs as well. My guest today has been Marguerite Rosa, Director of the Edunomics Lab at Georgetown University. You can find a link to her recent webinar entitled, What Will the Financial Turmoil Mean for Public Education? on our website at educationnext.org. Marguerite, thanks for being part of the podcast. Thanks, Marty. It's been fun. You've been listening to the Ednext Podcast. If you like what you've heard, be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you use so that you don't miss an episode. And especially if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. It helps us find more listeners and more listeners to find us.